Hey, it's the Reparadigmed Podcast. Today is our first episode on how to read the Bible, and we're discussing the central assumptions that we have about the Bible that influence the way we read the Bible. first assumption that we have when we approach the Bible is that the Bible is a gift from God that provides us wisdom for living out the human vocation. This is what a lot of theologians will call inspiration. The idea is basically that the Bible is breathed out by God, that God is the source, that God somehow gifted the Bible to humans for their benefit and for their wisdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, these are rather popular verses on the topic. It says that all the scriptures, and in this case, it's referring to the Old Testament scriptures or the Hebrew Bible, all the scriptures are given by inspiration from God or are God-breathed, and they're profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for instruction and righteousness, things like that, so that the person of God may be complete and mature, lacking in nothing. And that's the attitude that we share when we approach the Bible, that it's from God and it's for our benefit. And I think that influences our hermeneutics quite a bit. Yeah. We come into this thing knowing it's of great value to us. Yeah. At least that. Yeah. <laughs> our second assumption that we take into our Bible reading is that though the Bible was written for us, as I just affirmed, it was not written to us. This is a really key distinction. And sometimes this is missed, but it needs to be understood if we're going to interpret the Bible properly. If you just read the introduction to any one of the biblical books... I'm thinking, for example, like the letters in the New Testament, Paul never says, you know, Paul and Sosthenes are writing here to Matthew Westlake in Minnesota in 2023. That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. He'll say to the church in Corinth or to the church in Thessaloniki or whatever. And this might be a kind of an obvious point, but like I said, I think it can just be forgotten. And we need to, we need to remember this every time we open up the Bible that it's not written directly to me, although I affirm that it's for my benefit. I want to give a couple examples of why why this could matter. Why don't you pull up Matthew 13, 16? But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Blessed are your eyes, Matthew, because they see. Blessed are your ears, Matthew, because they hear. It's a good thing I'm doing this podcast then. (laughs) Exactly. So maybe it's a silly example, but without the context of who's talking there, literarily within the text, it's Jesus of Nazareth, but also who the original audience was of the gospel, according to Matthew. Um, This isn't going to make a lot of sense if we are just taking these blessed are you's as blessed are me's. Mm-hmm. Why are they blessed? Well, in the passage, there's particular reasons why Jesus is saying blessed are your eyes and blessed are your ears. And it's because the people that he's speaking to are witnessing his ministry, the coming messianic age that he is inaugurating. Well, that's not true in the same way for me and for you. We're not witnessing the inbreaking of God's kingdom through the incarnation of Jesus of Nazareth, you know. So we're just not at that time and place. And so this would just steer us, I think, against readings where we want to hear from God, 
and we affirm that the Bible is for us. And so then we just open up the scriptures and we put our finger on the first verse <laughs> and we see blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears. And we think, ah, blessed are mine. That's just not legitimate. Yeah, the Bible says it. I believe it. That's the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that comes from a good place, a place of, yeah, this is from God. <laughs> like I said, it is for our benefit, but we can't just remove it from its original intention. That's disrespectful to the text. Another example that would kind of demonstrate why this is important to keep this in mind, that the Bible is not written to me and to you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. <laughs> this sort of odd passage where it seems like Paul is just being like, yeah, marriage isn't very great. I mean, like, <laughs> probably better that more people aren't married, which is kind of an odd thing to say, especially coming from the Jewish Christian worldview, which affirms... <laughs> That it's, as a general pattern, good for people to get married, good for people to have children and to, I guess, build the kingdom of God through family raising or something like that. Yeah. So he mentions a present distress there. So he's saying we need to understand whatever situation he's writing into. We got to look at who he's writing to. We can't just take this and be like, oh, present distress. Maybe he's writing about coronavirus or whatever right. political turmoil we've got going on right now. And that's the impulse we will want to see in verse 26. Because of the present distress, Paul is giving this advice. We will want to see our American context in 2023 because that's where me and you live. True. That's not legitimate, though. That's not the present distress he's talking about. If that is the present distress he's talking about, this part of the Bible has been meaningless to everyone else in human history in every other time and place besides me and you in America in 2023. Just had to wait 2,000 years to get there. Right. Not only that, but this cuts against what we're going to talk about a lot, which is the importance of respecting authorial intent as the grounding for meaning within the Bible. If I do just simply take this as applying to me or talking about my present distress, like I said, it's disrespectful to the text. And what I mean by that is it's disrespectful to the author of the text to take his words and just twist them into meaning what I want them to mean or what feels applicable to me. Hmm. One more example of this important principle is in Revelation. Do you have that one pulled up? I've got it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor— you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So that's Revelation chapter 2, right at the beginning of that chapter. It's easy to read a, a, a section like this and find pretty direct application for us and in our churches today. 
it's easy to feel like he's talking directly to us, or in this case, the revelator is recording Jesus's words directly for us. And in our modern churches, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, you've found them to be liars. Okay. So he's talking like he's commending them for their wisdom and discernment. I know you've persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my own name. Okay. So it's like encouraging us in our affliction, in our suffering for Jesus. And then he like warns them. And he exhorts them, you've abandoned your first love. Remember then how far you've fallen and repent. And so it's like, okay, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in all these programs and everything and forget about the reason why we exist. So this all feels like, yeah, this could be directly talking to our churches. Then all of a sudden he says in verse six, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then it kind of jarringly stirs us to the reality that he's not talking to us because I've got no idea who the Nicolaitans are. <laughs> yeah, you would definitely hear sermons preached, you know, verses three, four, five there and then mm-hmm. quickly stop before six. It, it feels like a sermon you'd hear in church sure. on Sunday. And, and it can turn into a sermon. We just have to respect that it's not there's not direct application. It's only through first understanding what it means to the people it's talking to that we can then take application to our situations. Sure. So to understand this passage, you're saying we need to understand specifically the wicked people that they were tolerating. We need to be able to understand the things that this church has gone through. We don't want to just be ripping this stuff out because it feels like it could apply to Mm -hmm. things going on today. We need to do that first step first, at least. Sure. And then some meanings are universal or, you know, feel to be fairly universal. And it's like, is it always good to love Christ first? Yeah. (laughs) So... In, a, in the same way we could heed this warning, is it also us that have done these things or that have lost our first love, you know? That gets us to our third assumption which is basically just a combination of the first two, but put together, it's this, that the goal of Bible reading is to understand first what it meant, then what it means. What I mean by that is we need to understand first what the author or editor meant to their particular audience at their particular time. Only after we do that can we make application for what that means for us today about living out the human vocation. I've got some statements on biblical hermeneutics or how to read the Bible from some, I guess, traditional evangelical institutions. One is from the Center for Biblical Hermeneutics, and this is what they say, quote, Scriptures can only be properly interpreted and understood by consistently applying a literal, normal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic, which recognizes the author's original intent including the use of literal language, imagery, and figures of speech. And then they go on to say, quote, The meaning of any given text is only that which is intended by the divine and human authors and conveyed exclusively by the vocabulary, grammar, syntax, and literary context. A pretty popular statement on biblical authority is called the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy. And on their section about how to read the Bible or hermeneutics, they say, quote, We affirm that the text of scripture is to be interpreted by grammatico-historical exegesis, taking account of its literary forms and devices, 
And that scripture is to interpret scripture. So grammatical historical there, that's that idea that you have to get at what the author meant to their original audience. Right. It's similar to what we saw in that first quote. And this is what we should be doing when we approach the Bible, trying to get to the meaning that the original author editor had at their time and place. So if Paul wasn't intentionally writing to my present distress, which obviously he wasn't because he didn't know about what was going to be going on in the United States of America in 2023, it would be wrong of us to just take that passage and then pretend like it means that he's talking to our trouble. Yeah, not only would it shortchange the Bible and be a you know a, a wrong interpretation or a not quite right one, it would actively steer you in wrong directions. <laughs> like it, it, w- it would not only be less helpful, it would be destructive <laughs> towards mm-hmm. understanding what he's trying to get at. Again, the goal of hermeneutics to understand what the Bible was communicating in its specific time and place so that we can thereby gain wisdom for living in our specific time and place. A couple of quotes from a pretty well-known biblical scholar, John Walton, that I think are really insightful. He says, quote, If we do not bring the information from the ancient cognitive environment to bear on the text, we will automatically impose the parameters of our modern worldviews, thus risking serious distortion of meaning. Going on, he also says, speaking of the Old Testament, quote, We need to read the Old Testament in the context of its own cultural river. We cannot afford to read instinctively, because that only results in reading the text through our own cultural lenses. No one reads the Bible free of cultural bias, but we seek to replace our cultural lenses with theirs. Sometimes the best we can do is recognize that we have cultural lenses and try to take them off even if we cannot reconstruct the ancient lenses. So this idea of the lenses here, just make sure I'm understanding this. He's saying because we live in a culture that's really different and we tend to think differently, we're living in a different historical situation. We're not going to be able to intuitively read the Bible and understand what the authors are trying to say. Yes, we should try our best not to intuitively read the Bible based on our experiences. Okay. Yeah, I I like what he said there because even if one didn't have like the tools to really understand the ancient Near Eastern context of the Bible and the Greek and Roman and Jewish context of the Bible, the first step toward decent Bible reading is just to understand that my context is not the context of the Bible. Even if I don't know the context of the Bible, at least I understand that my context is not that context. That gives us a level of, I think, humility And will steer us at least towards not making direct application when we see yous, like plural yous in the Bible or singular yous. We won't read them as literally me or me and you. And that will be a helpful impulse, I think, for for Bible reading. So... What we want to do in the podcast series is to showcase how gaining context of the biblical text, whether by reading earlier biblical texts that are what Tim Mackey calls hyperlinked in with later biblical texts, or by reading extra biblical texts, this can be really fruitful and exciting, and it can show why this is really the only way to keep our hermeneutics consistent, our Bible reading and interpretation consistent. This does lead to an objection sometimes. When we say that the Bible can't be directly applied to me and that we need to respect the original context, 
that leads to an objection, and the objection is something like this. If the study of context is so critical to understanding the Bible, then how is one to understand it if they don't have access or the time or the ability to do context studies? To say it another way, don't we believe the Bible is clear to anyone who reads it? Mm. This is sometimes called perspicuity or the perspicuity of the Bible. And what theologians mean is the clearness of the Bible. Sure. <laughs> um, and because the Bible is for us and given for our benefit, it is sort of a natural assumption that therefore it must be very clear in its meaning for all of humanity. And so this is an objection that we might hear to our approach of contextual reading of the Bible. So what's the answer, Nick? I think that in a way the Bible is clear, and in a way it's definitely not clear. And the way that it is clear is that it is telling a grand narrative that can be perceived. If someone reads the start of the Bible and then the end of the Bible, maybe you just read Genesis 1 and 2 and then Revelation 21 and 22, one quickly realizes that those are bookends and that they're actually describing the exact same thing. That helps us understand, okay, everything that probably happens in the middle here is part of this story arc. Well, that helps, but that requires that one read a lot of the Bible and get very familiar with it. Or if people are just listening to people who sum up the storyline of the Bible well and kind of provide them tools for condensing it, the main themes of the biblical story arc, that can be pretty intuitive and universal and understandable to any old person. We'll understand that God is the creator of all. We'll understand that humans are God's image, whatever that means. We'll understand that humans have not lived up to God's vocation, God's calling over them, and we've messed everything up. <laughs> and we'll understand something about Jesus coming to redeem humanity and show them the way back to the garden. And then we'll all live with God forever on a new earth. Amen. <laughs> like <laughs> We'll understand something about the storyline. Rather intuitively, I think anyone can. But in another way, if you just start reading any particular text of the Bible, you're lying if you say that it's just obviously clear to you what it means. <laughs> and I literally mean drop down anywhere in the Bible and it's usually unclear. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably end up somewhere in the Old Testament. If you end up in like a minor prophet or maybe somewhere in Exodus, Leviticus, you're going to be struggling. For sure. It's like, why is God telling this guy to walk around naked or just the randomest stuff? And it is really difficult to understand. And I think that can just be admitted that it's not super obvious to anyone who reads the Bible what any particular text of the Bible means. So your answer to that perspicuity question then would be that the main story of the Bible is generally clear, but there's a lot of details throughout the Bible that you're going to miss unless you've got some additional tools or help. Yeah, I'd probably put it a little bit more strongly, but yeah, that's the gist of my of my view there. <laughs> I do think it's important just to recognize that, though. I mean, we can not like that fact, but it is a fact that the Bible is hard to understand for us modern readers because it wasn't written to us in our context. a thought experiment for you, Matt. Okay. What are the chances that you would comprehend a letter that some individual wrote to their business partner in 134 Common Era in inland China, in ancient Chinese script? Yeah, there's no chance. 
my ancient Chinese reading is not fantastic. Yeah, first you would at least need to become a fluent speaker of the language and reader of the language. Yeah. But that would only be one step. I mean, that would only get you so far as to understand like the correspondence between the English and the ancient Chinese script text. You'd also need someone that was familiar with the history and the culture and business practices and currency rates and inside jokes and all those things of inland China in 134 Common Era. So you would have to understand all those things or you would have to lean on those who do understand all those things yep. and have them help you interpret this letter. Yes, I'd need I'd want help from a lot of experts to really have a chance to understand what's going on in this letter. Right. Or you're completely lost. Yep. You don't understand what it means. Even if you get a good English translation of that letter, you might be able to understand the basics that this is a business letter to his business partner. You might be able to understand some of the things he's communicating, but there's just a whole lot that you would not understand. Yep. And, and even translated, there's parts of that that are going to be hard to understand. I would guess there's business practices from the second century in China that are difficult to even translate into modern English. Oh, like, this happens actually in the Bible quite a bit with parables and things like that. English translators are always having to decide if we're going to put modern, let's say, business practices and currency rates mm -hmm. into our translation or use like the, I guess, uh, Greek words. Sure. Yeah. So you would need not only translation, you would need help with the cultural setting. And then you'd, you'd also need somebody to help explain to you kind of that translation work that's being done. Mm -hmm. You need somebody who's really, really familiar with what's going on in that second century setting to be able to like sit down and explain it and teach it to me so that I can understand. Yeah. It's not going to do any good just to be like, well, the the most popular family interpretation of this that my grandpa passed down was this. And mm. it's like, okay, well, did your grandpa know Mandarin or, sorry, or like ancient Chinese script or know any of the culture of that time and place in, in inland China? And it's like, oh, no, but my grandpa passed it down. Uh, like, uh, like that doesn't do you any good. It's like if he was in the same position <laughs> as you are, his interpretation of the letter doesn't do you any good just because it came before you. Right. Sorry, grandpa. Let's not disrespect our grandparents. This example illustrates that while it's possible to retrieve the meaning of ancient texts in ancient cultures, there's really only one specific way to do it. And that is to understand as best as possible the authorial intent, which is only done by understand that author's culture, time and place as best as possible. The context of that culture, uh, the context of that author. So, like I said, this can be intimidating when we think that this is the only way to really understand what's going on within the Bible. But I would say we should be encouraged because of modern technology. We are very much living in a time and place now where we are better able to understand the original context of the Bible than ever before since the time of the writing of the Bible. We don't all need to become experts in ancient Near Eastern literature and religion or Greek and Roman practices and religion or Second Temple Judaism. But like you were saying, we can lean on the people who do know those things and have spent their lifetime studying these things. And we can utilize technologies. And I think we'll talk about this more in the podcast. We can utilize technologies that help us gain access to that scholarly work that then helps us to interpret the Bible. Because without those people who are familiar with that context, people are left doing what John Walton calls that kind of intuitive reading. They're left having to read it and then from their own cultural setting, 
just kind of make best guesses as to what the the author means. Yep. Yeah. And on that, I think just to reiterate one of Walton's points that we outlined above, I think that even if someone has no specific knowledge of a particular passage's cultural or historical context, the simple acknowledgement of that fact that the Bible must be read in its ancient context is itself helpful mm. for discerning the range of meanings a text could have. So if I encounter something that I don't understand. Yeah, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Sure. I shouldn't be immediately trying to find some abstract application in my life. Maybe it's okay to just say, oh, okay, there's a cultural mm. setting. There's something going on here with the pool of Siloam. Mm -hmm. I should want to go find out what the pool of Siloam is, what it represents. Find the context of this command. Yep. Both the literary context within the book that it's found, in this case, John, the gospel according to John. And then also like, yeah, like you said, the maybe the theological significance or any other background that we can have for that text will help us understand what, what in the world is going on. Yeah. If we just drop down into the Bible and start reading passages like that, go wash in the pool of Siloam, or we drop down and it says, go make for yourselves two tablets of stone. <laughs> or we drop down in Joshua and it says, make for yourselves knives of flint and circumcise the Israelites a second time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if we drop down in Second Chronicles and we see, if my people who are called by my name. Wait, hold on. I actually am familiar with that one because we do just drop down in that one and stick it on mugs and stuff like that. But <laughs> anyways, the point is, if we just drop down into these passages and read whatever it's saying, step one is to just acknowledge it's not talking to me. My point here is that even if I don't know anything else about the context, if you start there, you at least won't do really strange and abusive things with the text, sure. <laughs> thinking that it is to me. Yeah, you'll be willing to fight that strong, strong urge we have to read the Bible and then immediately make it about something going on in my life right now. Right. Yeah, so to, to sum up our introduction here, I think we're just saying that authorial intent really is everything. It is the goal of Bible reading. It is what keeps the meaning of the biblical text grounded. Which, if the Bible does not have a grounded meaning, then it's pretty hard to say that it is our canon or our rule of faith if it's shifting all the time. So the only way to ground it, I think, is to ground it in the author's intent, which is a pretty normal way to ground the meaning of literature. And how do we know what the author's intent is? By understanding the author's argument. How do we understand the author's argument? By understanding the author's language and vocabulary. And how do we understand the author's language and vocabulary? By understanding the author's cultural context. And how do we understand the author's cultural context? By doing context studies or leaning on those people who have. And so that's kind of the introduction to our series. And we're going to explore all of these different things in more detail. We're going to do a podcast on interbiblical context, on extra-biblical context, on church history and interpreting the Bible, and on the new discoveries that have been made in our time and our place that have enabled us to do better contextual reading of the Bible. Mm -hmm.